Well, we're continuing our series on humility. A series on humility. Keith Moore has some fabulous um, teachings online with humility. I used to always call it the pride series. <laughs> My wife and other people would correct me, you mean the humility series? I guess the Lord's dealing with something in you, you know? But pride and humility, you really have to discuss them together. Because um, if you don't have one, you tend to have the other. <laughs> so if you're not walking in humility, uh, you're walking in pride. And so we're going to look uh, this morning at humility as well as pride. And let's begin um, in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We'll begin there after we pray. Father... We thank you for your word. Thank you that you sent us your word. We receive it with joy. We receive it with gladness. We're expecting right now that you'll speak through my mouth, that you'll minister your word to our spirits. Father, I pray that each one of us would have spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see what you're saying to us individually and collectively uh, not only here, but even to the body of Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before we go to James, I, I quoted this a couple weeks ago, and, uh, but I didn't give you the reference. And so um, I'm believing God uh, right now uh, in my life that uh, I'm going to increase in my ability to uh, give you not only the scripture quote, but with the reference attached. <laughs> I don't know why everybody's laughing. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that. Uh, you know, this guy that is called, um, oh, I forget his name right now, but he spent 23 minutes in hell. This pastor, have anybody ever seen Bill him? Weiss. What's his name? Bill Wise. Yeah, Bill Wise. And so uh, I saw a thing from him, never seen him before a couple weeks ago, and I thought, man, not only does he know the scripture, but he knows the references. <laughs> Like, and it's not just a couple, but I mean, he's, you know, they had some uh, atheists questioning him, and so he was answering them kind of off the cuff, and, you know, he didn't just say, like, let me give you two or three scriptures. He gave, like, ten scriptures, you know, of uh, things he had experienced uh, when, when he went to hell, and how even the whole experience was a scriptural experience, and it's just, just amazing, but, uh, so that was uh, inspiring as well, but it just really inspired me, like, you know, I can come up a little higher. We can all come up a little higher. And so you don't necessarily, if you're going to do well concerning uh, the Scripture, really you ought to learn how to remember from your spirit because your spirit never forgets. And so as you develop in spiritual things, you can actually draw those up from your spirit. So somebody might say, how, how, do, you, how do you know all those Scriptures? Well, because um, when I read them and the Lord reveals them to me, I don't forget them. And I don't have them here. You know, a lot of you know my testimony when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, that uh, I say, I got a new Bible, but I should bring it sometime. But it was my Bible quizzing Bible that I still had from when I was a young kid. I used to Bible quiz. And uh, so I had in there, like th much like this, I had a lot of things highlighted. And there I had mostly the quotes because uh, they'd use me to do quotes. And so you had to do exact word for word and reference in order to get the point in Bible quizzing. So I knew them word for word and reference. And when I got filled with the Spirit, I was already born again, of course. You had to be born again to be filled with the Spirit. But uh, once I got filled with the Spirit, man, it was the most peaceful, precious experience, just like an experience with God. 
And I began to speak in other tongues. And then, uh, you know, people say, like, well, what happened? Did you see fire? Did you fall out in the Holy Spirit? Were you overcome with the power of God? No, none of that. But I went, and when I read my Bible, I looked at the same scriptures that I had memorized word for word up here. And I saw them in new light. And I saw something that they contained, that they had so much life in them that when I looked and I had the same exact Bible and I saw my highlight and I knew I had highlighted it and I knew I had memorized it. And I said, this is not the same. I've never read this before. I have never seen this before. Why? Well, because you, the more light you get, the clearer you see the picture. And I had, I had received so much more light because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John, that um, he'll guide you into all truth or into all reality, one translation says. He said, Jesus said, he will take the things that belong to me and he'll show them to you. So you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, we had a baptism, not, what, a month or two ago here. And you were, some of you were baptized in water. And so even if your foot came up, you were still saturated with water. Right, Darlene? She says, went down. She's like, when I went down, my foot came up, you know. <clears throat> but you're saturated. So what happened? Well, we, we made some preparation ahead of time, and we didn't do a good enough job, but we did a decent job. So we put, like, these mats out there, and then we thought, okay, well, let's put this out there, too, and let's get them towels. But everyone was so saturated that there was still water dripping, like, all the way. Right? We had people to watch so you don't fall, those type of things. Why? Because we knew when you come out of that baptismal pool, you are saturated with water. Well, Jesus said... Actually, um, Luke said uh, in writing the Acts, he, he said, um, but you shall receive, uh, no, verse 5, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. And so you were, John truly saturated you with water, but you will be saturated with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. And so when you're saturated, it's, it's dripping off of you. I don't mean he is dripping off of you. I mean, you're so saturated that if like Eddie's saturated and I pushed him right now, if he had just gotten out of the pool and I did that, water would drip because I pushed on his jeans. It would just drip from it because he's so tanked up. He's so saturated. Everything about him is saturated. And so that's really how we're to live because Paul said, be being filled with the Spirit. Uh, don't, don't have one experience and they just say, well, yeah, I remember 20 years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago, one week ago. No, that uh, literally there's a play on the words in the Greek in uh, Ephesians there where it says, be being filled with the Spirit. And the humble person is being filled with the Spirit, but the proud person resists it. So the humble person is looking to God. You cannot act in faith without humility. You cannot come to God without humility because humility is putting yourself under, not putting yourself over. If I put myself over, you know, um, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, Let us pay extra close attention to the things that we've heard, lest at any time we let them slip. So if you have studied anything from the word of God, you better pay real close attention to it. When you hear someone teach on it, preach on it, when you study it, and when the Lord draws your attention to it, well, humble yourself. I mean, imagine the audacity of a human. 
The Lord's, you know, like the Lord keeps drawing your attention. Yeah, that scripture. I, I keep thinking about that scripture. That keeps scripture keeps coming up, keeps coming up. But I know that scripture. Uh, your, your pride will stop the manifestation of the gifts of God in that area of your life. Because redemption, what Jesus did when he went to the cross for all of mankind, he took the curse in all of its forms on himself as if he's the one that committed every sin of every person of all time that would ever exist. What is the weight of that assignment? Is it any wonder that when he humbled himself in the garden before he went to the cross and prayed, it says that he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But yet he knew it wasn't. He said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, your will be done. And then he says, he gave his life freely. He wasn't forced to do it. No one took his life. The Roman soldiers didn't take his life. The Jews didn't take his life. He gave up his life freely. The perfect, spotless sacrifice for every human being that had lived, would live, and was living. Jesus, the perfect, perfection of sacrifice. He took it on himself. But he did it because he humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2. So let's look at James uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. This is Hebrew, excuse me, James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves. Don't wait for someone else to humble you. Don't wait until you feel inspired to humble yourself. No, it's a command. Humble yourselves. Well, you say, like, do you see me? Do you see how humble I am? You know I'm humble. I mean, if you don't know what I'm going to tell you, right? No, humble yourselves, not in the sight of man. He said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. How does the Lord see? How clearly does he see? Just think of his word in Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God, it'll get to the root of the matter. The word of God is alive and it is powerful. I'm going to skip over a couple phrases right there. Was it Hebrews 4.14? Sometimes I quote it, you really should read it. No, 4.12. For the word of God is quick or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder or dividing into of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And listen to this. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. When the Lord sees you or when he sees me, does he see humility? 
That's a question you don't answer here, but you answer here in your heart. His word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. Sometimes you say, well, I don't know. Am I being humble in this? I don't know. Is my motive right? Is my heart right concerning this? You get in the word. Hey, you ever? One of my favorite things uh, about the word is that the word will admonish you. Uh, one translation says that that means it'll, it'll kind of slap you across the face. So if I want to slap across the face, I love to read James. James is great to slap you across the face. You're like, I can't believe all this stuff is going on. What is happening? And he starts out, count it all joy, my brother, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that this is good for you, the testing of your faith. Like, let's test this faith. See if this is the faith of God or just a man's faith, because the faith of God, it can be, can be pounded on, can be talked about, can be, have emotions thrown at it, and that faith will stand firm and fixed and immovable like a face like a flint. When you have the faith of God about something, because you heard from God about something, it really doesn't matter what they say about it, because you have heard what he says about it. And if he said it, it's true. So Jesus, I love Jesus in John chapter eight, you know, they're all Pharisees are all kind of flipping out like you're making yourself equal with God and you're saying all this and saying all this stuff. And he's like, listen, he's like. You just believe me because I'm not lying to you. And he said, but if you need something else, your own law says everything's established by the mouth of two. He said, so my mouth is one and God is the other witness. Well, that's not beyond us. You know what Paul said multiple times? He said, God is my witness, Romans chapter 1. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Could God be your witness for what you're saying, what you're doing? Would he bear witness with that? We talk about the inward witness. We hear from the Lord. But how about the Lord witnessing for us? In other words, uh, you're speaking and you're claiming to speak by the spirit of the Lord. Well, if you are, the spirit of the Lord will bear witness to people that are sensitive, and they'll know it. He's trying to bear witness to everybody, but not everybody's sensitive. Not everybody's listening to him. Uh, the problem is, many times, people uh, are not ready for meat. Uh, you know, let's go over there. Praise the Lord. I love how the Lord works. I thought this is where we we're going to start. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Sorry, I didn't tell you where I was going. And this is what I, I, I quoted uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm going to read verse 1 uh, to give it context. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is Paul. You remember when they're kind of like, uh, what do you know? You're like a short man. <laughs> and they're criticizing him. 
And he said, listen, if you want to talk about boasting, I could boast. I was trained by Gamaliel, like the trainer of trainers for, you know, um, the law. And for Pharisee, I was like a Pharisee. I was on the path. So if you want to talk about knowledge and wisdom, he said, but you know, but all this stuff, all of this learning, all these experiences, I count it like dung. I'm trying to figure out what phrase I wanted to use to describe poop. Right? <laughs> Compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he said, I determine among men, verse 2 here, to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was, I was, uh, had some light, some light on that scripture, and I was talking with Pastor Mark Angus about it one time, and he, I said, I said, I just love that. It says, I determined among men to know nothing. And he said, I can tell you've determined to know nothing. Because <laughs> he's a big tease, you know, he likes to tease. But Paul said, I have determined among men to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I have found that the more that I understand and realize that I don't know something, then I have more capacity to learn it. And the more that I realize or feel I know this, I'm not open. In other words, I have an element of pride there. Like, I know that. And in the things of God, for any of us to say, like, I know that. Well, I know him. But there's more, more to know about him than what I know. And then just turn up a couple uh, pages over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Well, we should read verse 1, really. Now, as touching things offered to idols, we know that, uh, that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. When the Holy Spirit comes, he, he comes and he sheds the love of God in abundance in the heart of the believer. Really, he's a spirit of love. So knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. But listen to this next verse. And if any man think that he knows anything... He knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. Did you know today's message is about knowing nothing? <laughs> if any man thinks he knows anything, he doesn't know anything yet as he ought to know it. Now, you think it just in natural, natural things. I, 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 uh, I had a challenge the last uh, couple weeks, not a big challenge, but a little challenge, but an, an annoying challenge. And that is, one, I have a water heater, an electric water heater in my house. It has two elements in it. It has two chambers. So 
That means that one element, electric element, heats up and heats the water in the top chamber. The other one heats the water in the bottom chamber. Well, my bottom chamber element busted, like it actually broke, like burst. You know, it's like a, a loop like that, and it broke. I didn't know it broke like that. I just knew it broke. Because that means uh, after about 10 to 12 minutes, the water turns cold. So you better do your business in the shower quickly and get out if you don't want to be like Smith Wigglesworth and take a cold shower in the morning to put your flesh under. And so... So, you know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, you don't realize you know something. You don't even start to know it. The beginning knowledge of it doesn't even begin until you realize that you really don't know much about it. And uh, so I was thinking, i got to fix this thing. And so I ended up getting it fixed yesterday, which was a much longer process than what I would prefer. <laughs> and um, in the process of getting it fixed, I went to YouTube. Where else would you go to learn how to do something? or how to do it wrong, <laughs> or do it right. Anyhow, uh, I found this guy, and this guy is like, he knows all this stuff about hot water, and you know, you need to have like a circulation pump so that you have no more than four to six seconds when you turn the tap on before the water flows hot, you know, and he's an expert in this and engineering it, been doing it for 25, 30 years. And the guy, they interviewed this guy, and he's like this, High-level expert in building, like they use them for all, all like the, the high-end homes, all this type of stuff. Do you know what his name is? Gary Klein. K-L-E-I-N. Gary Klein. So I'm listening to Gary Klein, and I thought, I didn't know you could make a career out of like figuring out how to get hot water from the hot water heater to the tap, like for 25 or 30 years. I thought you just like put in a hot water heater, hook up the two pipes, you know, and then turn it on and it comes out. But anything, that's something natural. How much more something that comes from God, whose ways are past finding out. Not spiritual people, but religious people use that as an excuse to say, well, you can't even understand the Lord. His ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. You know, that's in the scripture. So it's true. But I think a better translation would be his ways are higher than natural man. His thoughts are higher than natural man. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, where we just read, I determined among men to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching would not, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? I added why. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, or you could say mature. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world, that come to nothing. The wisdom of this world comes to nothing. The princes of this world come to nothing. Yet you can be in an atmosphere where people don't know the Spirit of God, and all they care about is the wisdom of this world. 
and the thoughts of this world, you get sucked into that vacuum and you get all tossed around. Because it's not the ways of God, it's the ways of man. And it comes to nothing. The wisdom of God is eternal. So the wisdom of God will affect you here and now. It'll cause you to prosper. Yeah, it'll affect your finances. But I'm saying prosper is you come to the top or the front in everything. First John says, I desire that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Man. Thank God he put that scripture in there. Why? Well, because some people haven't found out how good God is. That when Jesus took all of that on himself, and then he went to hell and suffered the penalty for all of it, and then he gained the victory over all of the curse in every form, every fashion, for all time, and gain victory over the devil himself. And then he rose and took his own blood and put it on the real, true, heavenly, holy of holies. Well, Jesus said on the cross, remember he said, it is finished. Some people read that and they read it with the natural mind. And they said, well, then it's all done. Well, God gave Paul the revelation. No, you understand? Like, if, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then everything that we believe is in vain. And we are of all men most miserable. So he said, it is finished. What is that? That's the old covenant. He fulfilled every bit of the old covenant in every point. Full, totally taken care of. So God could establish the new. And so when he established the new, Jesus redeemed all of mankind so that we could be born again today or we could be healed today. What Jesus already did. So, so if, you were, if you're not born again here this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, what happens is you have a sin nature from Adam and Eve because they sinned. They yielded to the devil because of pride. And when they did, sin entered the world and death came by sin. So they had a sin nature. So until you're born again, you have a sin nature and you are of your father, the devil. But when you're born again, you are refathered. You're taken out of darkness and you're placed into light. You're adopted as a son or a daughter of God Himself. You've been recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. So you, you have a new father. But that happened in earth time over 2,000 years ago is when Christ actually did it, but he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world because God is outside of time in eternity.
But by our faith in God, we access those things that he's already made available. But you cannot get those things unless you can receive those things. And the way that you receive those things is you come by the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know that song? I, I grew up in church. <laughs> so I remember a lot of old church songs. Anybody remember the song, I Surrender All? All to him I freely give. I surrender all. That's a great song. Why? Because if you don't surrender all, you can't receive all. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you read on there, I'm not going to do it for the sake of time, uh, all of it here. Uh, but he said that your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And it's talking about the wisdom that we speak. Uh, verse 13, he says, which things also we speak not in words of that man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Now, nobody raise your hand, but... Have you ever read some of the word? And you're like, I just, I'm not getting that. Well, sometimes the reason is you're trying to receive with the natural man. Like you're trying to figure it out in your brain. Like, well, well, how, how could something happen 2,000 years ago to a man named Jesus from Nazareth, who people say was anointed of God, was the Messiah, and then if I just believe in my heart uh, that God raised him from the dead and say with my mouth, he's Lord, I shall be saved. How? That doesn't make any human reasoning sense. But man is made three parts. And if you try to approach God from your body or from your mind, uh, you'll become very confused, frustrated, and probably just turn away. Because God is a spirit, Jesus said in John chapter 4, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you try to read the word of God without the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the author of this book. So he's the best interpreter of this book. You remember Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch? He's sitting there in his chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch's sitting there in his chariot, and he's reading the Word of God, but he's not getting it. What happened? Somebody spiritual showed up, or somebody who yielded to the Holy Spirit. So God was able to use Philip, expounding, preaching Christ to him in all these things. Preaching, what's Christ? The anointed one in his anointing. And he said, well, I'm going to receive him then. Can I be baptized? He's like, yeah, let's go down right now. Didn't even have to have a portable tank. Had a river. <laughs> his feet might have stayed under. I don't even know. <laughs> I 
But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 actually says, 11, excuse me, says, He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I remember Brother Hagintown one time, there was this fellow and he just wanted to debate, debate, debate after every service, debate, debate, debate. He said, well, he said, well, I just don't believe that God exists. He said, well, then I'm not going to talk to you because the Bible says he that comes to God must believe that he is. He said, well, if I die tonight and go to hell, it's your fault. He said, well, he said, you can't come to God if you don't believe that he is. Hebrews, you know, 11.1 says he that comes to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So finally, after a few days of that, he kind of like thought, Lord, you know that. That poor fellow, what's wrong with him? He was in his 70s, I think, like that. And he said, uh, I pray that that scripture just would be standing at the foot of bed when he wake up. So what happened? It stood at the foot of the bed. The guy wake up and he just, that scripture's there, that scripture's there. And the next time he came, he said, he said, you know what? I believe that he is. <laughs> Why? Well, he made the mistake of listening to that scripture that Brother Hagin said to him. Well, if you make the same mistake and you listen to the scripture that you read, or that you hear a minister uh, preach on, it'll possess you. It'll grab hold of you. It'll admonish you. And the way you thought you were going to walk through life, you might go a different direction. Hallelujah. All right, back to James. Dr. James. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. And then 1 Peter 5 uh, be clothed with humility, or you could say put on humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Sometimes it's just not your due time. You say, like, what's going on? I thought, I thought once I became a believer, everything would just like fall in line and happen automatically. And when I show up, you know... Uh, because God loves me and because I know him, then all of a sudden it's just going to work. No, I mean, that's like thinking that when you get married, it's going to make everything easier. <laughs> Paul said, if you get married, you're going to have trouble in the flesh. So if you have trouble in your marriage, in the flesh, well, it's a biblical marriage. If you don't have trouble, apparently it's unbiblical. <laughs> so you can just repent of lying and then, um, you know, you'd be right with the Lord again. Your relationship with the Lord doesn't change, but your fellowship certainly does. You're living in sin, not treating your husband, wife right, not treating people right. You don't lose your salvation, but, you know. If I don't treat my wife right, our fellowship is affected. Our intimacy is affected. Then what happens if I, if, I, if I treat her like garbage, right? Then anything I say is heard through the filters of what I have created. It's actually distorted communication. So then I decide, well, I'm going to try to fix it. Without saying, honey, please forgive me, I acted incorrectly. 
right, without being real clear about it. Well, then I come and I try to make it right because I'm not going to humble myself, admit that I could do something wrong or say something wrong. So then I try to, like, repair it. I might have done this once before. So I try to repair it. And then she expects, like, it's another attack, right? So then you, and you're trying to repair the situation. They're hearing through the hurt that hasn't been resolved. So now, even though I'm actually saying something sweet and lovely, the first reaction is not necessarily sweet and lovely. <laughs> well, that's why it's important. I mean, you don't want to break your fellowship with someone as close to you as a husband or wife, but you certainly don't want to break your fellowship with the Lord. Interesting thing is, if you break your fellowship with someone as close to you, like as my wife is to me, uh, then uh, the Lord said he's not going to hear my prayer if I don't honor my wife. Interesting. My, hair, my, hairs, my prayers are hindered. So I like to stay in a good relationship with the Lord. It helps in life and especially in ministry. So I say good. You got it. One, one person laughing at me. So I stay in good relationship with my wife. I told her many times, I said, you should be so happy that I'm a believer. Because the Lord won't let me stay mad at you. Because my old flesh, when I used to let it dominate me, oh, yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, I didn't come from the best as far as that, F that flesh side, you know. Like, uh, yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humility, remember, is to lower yourself. Lower yourself. Somebody said... Stay little in your own eyes. Lower yourself in your own estimation. But really, the truth of it is, humility is, like we talked about last week, humility is such freedom. You say, well, I don't know if I want to hear about pride and humility, pride and humility. When you learn what humility really is, that you understand you don't have to produce the product. You just have to follow the Lord and speak his word. Here, Mark Hankins would say, you are the believer and he is the performer. Sometimes you try to be the believer and the performer. Uh, you can't perform it. You can't make it happen. And if you can, do you really want it anyhow? But when you know God got involved in your life, God showed up, that thing that used to dominate you, that used to, used to control your life, that you were a slave to that thing, that because God is good and God is love and God is freedom, that he gave that thing to you. He busted the power of the dominion of the enemy to use that as a tool to keep you out of his presence, out of his will and not fulfilling the call of God on your life, that that has been forever severed. That's because you, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You understand the power uh, that those things yielded to the flesh have. I know many people, uh, well, I shouldn't say, yeah, probably many people, actually, that in their family, they had trouble with alcoholism. 
So they're actually our own president. Do you know he doesn't drink alcohol? Because he's such a strong believer. No. Why? Because he saw, I don't remember who it was, but somebody in his family uh, had trouble with alcoholism. So he's like, I'm not even going there. I'm not, I'm not going down that path. I know people in my own family the same way. Well, I, I'm not even putting myself in that position. Well, pride says, well, you know, well, you can handle it. Genesis chapter 3, the temptation of Adam and Eve. That's how the, the enemy tempted him. Why? Because that's what he has and that's what he is. Ezekiel chapter 28 and uh, Isaiah 14. Satan, Lucifer, was the anointed cherub that covered. He walked, he walked in what is it called? The stones of fire before the presence of God. And he was perfect until iniquity was found in him. This is Ezekiel 28. He was perfect until that. Isaiah chapter 14 says, he said, I'll lift myself up and be like the most high. So pride puts you above other people, but humility you come under. So if you're going to speak for the Lord, if you're going to be humble, man, nobody really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You know the saying? Uh, I don't know if they got that from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 or not. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, doesn't just have uh, the love verses that describe love, but says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become like a noisy gong, clanging cymbals. If I can, you know, if I have all knowledge, if I have all faith that I can remove mountains, if I give my body to be burned but have not love. So it really doesn't matter if you know and if you're anointed of the Lord and if you speak on His behalf, if you're, not do, if you're doing it to put yourself over other people, it's a stench in the nostrils of God and in ours. Why? Do you know you can go into a house if you're spiritually perceptive at all? And if you're a believer, it's real easy to be spiritually perceptive. Just don't tune into your flesh and the natural mind. Tune into your spirit where, where, where God is at. You can walk in and if, if a husband and a wife had some type of a knockdown, drag out argument, you can sense it in the atmosphere. You know it. Would I minister to you? Much of what I minister to you, actually, uh, you, you, you get spirit-to-spirit uh, -spirit ministry. And you sense more the motive of my heart even than the words of my mouth. And God's looking at your heart. So, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, praise the Lord. We're going to close out. Close number one. Uh, I have a little book. I don't think I have it here. I have a little book from Andrew Murray uh, on humility. It's a fabulous little book. And um, so I'm going to read you some, uh, a couple of quotes from him. He said, humility 
is the place of entire dependence on God. And it's from the very nature of things, the first duty and highest virtue of the creature and is the root of every virtue. And so pride or the loss of humility is the root of every sin and every evil. Now, I'll read this slow. In heaven and earth, pride, self-exaltation, is the gate and the birth and the curse of hell. In other words, pride opens the door to the enemy. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. What is the grace of God? All of the wonderful things that you hear in the word and from anointed ministers that God has done and that he is and that he has made available to you. You mean that can all belong to you? Well, it actually belongs to every person that is alive on the earth. It's just a matter of are you able to receive it? And have you received it? Are you able? Why could you not be able to receive it? Would God create something that you're not able to receive? If you're going to live in pride, sure. Because God resists the proud. But you're able to receive it. Just like you're able to humble yourself. You humble yourself. Man, that's the key to the grace of God. You, you can't act in faith without humility. Uh, pride, exalting yourself. Faith, turning from self to Christ. And then um, Murray quoted another fellow who I didn't write his name down, but he was from the 17th century, and I can bring it to you next week. He said, there can be but one answer. It is his humility. What is the incarnation but his heavenly humility, his emptying himself and becoming man? What is his life on earth, this is talking about Christ, but humility? His taking on the form of a servant. And what is his atonement but humility? He humbled himself and became obedient to death. And what is his ascension and his glory? But humility exalted to the throne and crowned with glory. He goes on. He humbled himself, therefore God highly exalted him. In heaven, where he was with the Father, in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his sitting on the throne, it is all, it is nothing but humility, you know, it's an old language way to say. It is all humility, and it is nothing but humility. Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb and meekness of gentleness to win and to serve and to save us. As the love and condescension of God makes him the benefactor and helper and servant of all, so Jesus uh, of necessity was the incarnate humility. And so he is still in the midst of the throne, the meek and lowly Lamb of God. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah.
Jesus came to bring humility back to earth, to make us partakers of it, and so by it he could save us. In heaven he humbled himself and became man. The humility we see in him possessed him in heaven. It brought him, uh, excuse me, it brought him, he brought it from there. Here on earth, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. His humility gave his death its value, and so became our redemption. And now, the salvation he imparts is nothing less and nothing else than a communication of his own life and his death. His own disposition and spirit, his own humility as the ground and root of his relation to God and his redeeming work, Jesus Christ took the place and fulfilled the destiny of man as a creature by his life of perfect humility. He, excuse me, his humility is our salvation. His humility is our salvation, and our salvation is his humility. In other words, Christ humbled himself and gave us the greatest act of life. That when we humble ourselves from the very inception of our humility before God, the very point where that begins, that gives us access to the very life of God that recreates our spirits. How you were born again when you receive Christ is how you live a life filled with Christ. That you humble yourself. You became obedient just like he gave us that example. Philippians chapter 2, I don't have time to turn there just for uh, time's sake right now. But Philippians chapter 2, we've been reading it the other two weeks. That he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Well, he, he died spiritually and physically on that cross. For most of us, all he's asking is that we die to our flesh desires. I said, before you're born again, you have the nature of the devil. But you know, once you're born again, you have the nature of God. That you're not a sinner saved by grace. That you are a saint who has been recreated in Christ Jesus. And if you happen to sin, John said, you have an advocate, a lawyer, Jesus Christ the righteous. I mean... There's no amount of money that could pay the fee for that lawyer <laughs> except for his own blood. Why? Because he's Jesus, the righteous advocate. He's not making mistakes. He's judging rightly. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have an advocate, and we have the Holy Spirit who happens to know the protocol of the court of heaven. And this advocate stands in our defense. Whose defense? The one who has sinned. So John tells us by the Holy Spirit that we have him who is arguing our case when we come to him. When we do what? If we confess our sins. This is speaking to believers. It's interesting if you look in the Word of God and you look at the word forgiveness. Forgiveness is really meant for the believer. Cleansing and redemption is meant for the lost. So when you talk of forgiveness, you'll find he's talking to the believer. If you sin, 
meaning uh, there's an expectation that you probably won't that much. How are you going to sin? Well, you just get over in the flesh a little bit, and you'll figure it out. <laughs> you get over in the natural mind? You know, but Paul said we don't, we're not to live out of the flesh any longer. We live out of the spirit now. If you live by the flesh, you'll die, or death will have a beginning in that situation. But if you live by the spirit, you'll live or have life, or life will have its beginning in that situation. It's really pretty simple. So we just live out of our spirits, follow the Lord. The Word of God uh, shows us the path, and it gives light, revelation, understanding. Praise the Lord. Stand with me if you would. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, Jesus is Lord, and He's Lord of all. And... Uh, be the best day of your life if you accept him as your Lord and take him as your Lord. It'll change your life forever. It's not automatic. God is good. God is love. But you must, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. As many as received him. Just like if I gave you a quarter, if I had a quarter in my hand and I gave you a quarter, you'd know if you received it, you'd have to receive it. I could have it for you all day long. I could have a $100 bill for you all day long. And if you don't receive it, I could say, you know what? I, I, I brought this for so-and-so. This is for so-and-so. So this belongs to them. But if you don't reach out and receive it, it won't do you any good. You need gas money? $100 will buy you a tank of gas in most vehicles. But if you don't take it, go to the filling station, gas station, fill up, pay for it, won't do you any good. But yet I had airmarked it for you. I had set it aside for you. The problem is the sin nature. And Christ came to break that off of us and to give us, not only break it off really, but make us brand new creatures and break the dominion that sin had over us. But you have to receive him. As many as received him, he gave the right to be the children of God. Anyone that's in Christ is a new creature. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, if you'd like to receive Jesus, if you've never received him as your Lord and as your Savior, uh, and you'd like to, I want you to slip up your hand. We'll be happy to pray with you and for you. You don't, don't wait until you clean yourself up because you actually can't clean yourself up clean enough for God. You receive Jesus and he cleans you from the inside out. Number two, if you're here this morning and you were living for the Lord, but you backslid, things came in and uh, took the place of Christ in your life and you feel in your heart you need to come back. You need to come back to the Lord. Uh, come back into fellowship. If that's you, slip up your hand. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you. And number three, if you've never been filled with the Spirit, and you'd like to be, you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you. Man, when the Spirit of God is moving on you, don't wait. If He's moving on you to come to Christ, He's moving on you to come back, He's moving on you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't wait. If you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, slip up your hand. Pray with you and for you. Hallelujah. All right.
Let's all pray together. I'll pray and then just agree with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for his example that we could humble ourselves, Father, and allow your grace free flow in us and through us. Father, thank you for choosing mankind to work through and that we get to work with you. Father, I pray this week, we thank you first of all that we live in a nation where we have freedom to follow you and to worship you. Father, we, we pray this week as we see different people, Father, that you'll give us words to speak and Father, that you'll help us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Father, that we will be your hands, your feet, and your mouth wherever we go. Father, thank you that your word brings light and understanding. Father, we thank you for your love, that you love us with an everlasting love, that we can't go too far from you, but that you love us and you always call us back. Father, we thank you. I plead the blood of Jesus that what he has accomplished, that the access to your grace that we get through him, that that be strong on each person's behalf. I declare that no accidents will overtake us and no evil will befall us. In Jesus' name, amen.